0: everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. We have a fun show for you guys today. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We're previewing USC Utah, hopefully, as of recording this. It's still a thing, so we're going <laughs> to continue like it is a thing, crossing fingers to see some football on Saturday. So we'll preview that matchup, and we'll talk about the Zoom press conferences we had this week with USC's coordinators. We'll talk about Graham Harrell's uh, opinions on hashtag Armgate. That's <laughs> what we're calling it. Keen Slovis's, uh balls aren't as crisp. We've talked about it a lot, but we'll talk about what Graham Harrell had to say. And Don Orlando, he assessed his defense after two weeks, uh, two games. So we'll talk about that. We'll give you injury updates, also some personnel updates as well. And like always, you can call us five one two four tunnel Our intern, Micah, is standing by to chat with y'all and screen your questions. You can tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision, and I'll put your tweet up on the screen. And wherever you're watching, I believe we are live on all three platforms, uh, YouTube, Facebook, and Periscope. Put your comments, questions, concerns. We will monitor them. We will put them uh, up here. Uh, Not on the screen. Look, Ryan's monitoring Periscope. Well done.
1: This is is Facebook. I got Periscope over here. Oh,
0: you're double duty today. Look at that. Overachiever. Uh, But we're monitoring them. We'll answer your questions. Be sure to talk to us. We love talking to you guys. Now, Ryan, Uh I know you have something to talk about. And then after that, you're going to have to cover your ears about what we're about to talk about. So you take it first.
1: So Okay. So right now, (laughs) we have until tomorrow night, uh, 50% off. USC football season, full swing now. They're going to get a game against Utah this weekend. If you're a big USC football fan, make sure to go to uscfootball.com. That's a website that's kind of spawned all of these shows that we do. But 50% off a VIP membership. Uh, they don't do this very often, so make sure you jump in there and sign up. It's a great deal. And all kinds of, of awesome information on there. The Parastyle is where it's at. The biggest, baddest USC message board on the planet. I started that thing back in 1996. It's grown every year since, so make sure you go check it out. But it's where all the USC fans, the boosters, they're all in there. Plus, you get some breaking news, like Keely had some breaking news today we'll talk about. But hopefully you guys can go check it out. Go to uscfootball.com and sign up. The VIP membership is half off right now. And it really helps us, the more you guys sign up, it helps us grow this show and, and do more things for all of you. So if you like the USC football content, we're here for you, and that's what we're trying to do for you. So appreciate you listening. And, you know, hit the likes and all that stuff on every Like, you're subscribe,
0: watching. all that stuff. That definitely we appreciate all that. helps us out. Now, Ryan. As promised, you need to cover your ears. We're about okay. to talk about some USC basketball. He has headphones
2: on. How does he have to cover his ears?
0: Take the headphones <laughs> off, Ryan. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, prepare yourself for some basketball talk. A USC had a first-round pick, Shotgun Spratling, Take it away.
2: Congratulations to Anyeka Okongwu, number six overall selection, my Atlanta Hawks. I get to be excited. I might even get a you know an Okongwu jersey now Look at that. Uh, to to add to my collection. Uh, you know, great kid. So excited for him. You saw on the if you were watching the draft or if you saw any the clips that were were tweeted out. He just breaks down crying, surrounded by his family. Big emotional day for him. He has an older brother, Namdi, who is the reason why he wears number 21. His brother died in a, uh, a skateboarding accident when he was younger, wow. um, and so he's always played for Namdi. So I know Namdi's uh, looking down, smiling on on the whole family today. So a really special moment for him. Being drafted number six overall, he is the second highest. USC draft pick of all time behind only OJ Mayo in 2009. A couple guys have been drafted, I think, ninth overall, but you know, the the second highest, which tells you a lot about where this USC program has continued to, to push forward. This is only the second time in USC basketball history that they've had back to back first round draft picks. Technically, it's the third. Tim Floyd had it in 2007, eight and nine, so three straight years. But this is the only other occurrence of it. Last year, USC had Kevin Porter Jr. selected uh, in the last pick of the first round. Next year, USC should have another first-round draft pick, and Evan Mobley. A lot of people have talked about him being another top-five guy. But look at Aniyeka Congwu was the number 26, I believe, 28. Uh, overall uh, prospect coming out of high school, a lot of questions about. You know, he's six nine. Is he a tweener? Is he big enough to play center? Can he stretch out? He is an energy guy. He's going to affect the game on both ends of the, of the court, uh, at offensively and defensively. I think he's going to be a great fit with Atlanta with what they're doing with Trey Young and John Collins and some of the guys they have there. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how his career continues to progress. But a guy that went from back in being a potential five star, is he a four, high four star, low five star guy to being in that in the mix for a top three pick? Uh, you know, coming down to today, and you know he ends up sliding a little bit to number six, but you know uh, still give him a, a ton of credit for the work he put in in the USC basketball program, developing some players. Back-to-back first-round draft picks should have another one next year, so things look to be uh, on the up-and-up for for the basketball program in that regard.
0: Very nice, Shotgun. And we talked about it today. Basketball is back soon? It's weird?
2: Next week. It's a week away. They announced over the weekend, didn't really hear about it because it was... Uh, it was kind of dumped on a Saturday morning, I believe, or maybe late Friday. Um, they had talked about this, Andy Infield, and a couple of Zoom pressers that we've had with them about the possibility. But they are opening the season with Cal Baptist. That game will be, uh, I believe it will be televised as well on Wednesday. Uh, they'll, open, uh, they'll open up their season against Cal Baptist. They still have not finalized their schedule. And, and Andy actually was a little bit disgruntled about this uh last time we talked to him because there's been some teams that kind of backed out on on usc um you know they're they're still planning to go to connecticut they were supposed to play in the barclay center in brooklyn where the nets play in a tournament that got moved to connecticut to a casino the mohegan sun there Uh, so they're gonna they're still planning to play in that and there's still some good teams in that uh tournament as well That'll be the first weekend. Uh, so I believe they play on Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I think over the weekend they travel for that. I think it's December 1st and December 3rd, which they will play those two games. So the basketball season is right on top of us. And that's, it seems so weird because we've only played two football games, but. That's what happens when you start your football season in the middle of November. Basketball season starting on time. But we'll see when the schedule is actually fully finalized. There are gonna be a lot of uh, conference games in there um, and not a ton of non-conference, but USC basketball it will be interesting to see how they are this year. They got to completely rebuild the roster from last season, but they've got some you know some big time pieces starting with Evan Mobley, who was the, ended up falling to the number three overall player in the 2020 class after he was the number one player, the top player in the class uh, when USC signed him. He did slide a couple spots, but still is one of the top players in the country, already in all Pac-12 preseason selection.
0: Look at that. We talked about basketball for the first 10 minutes of the show.
2: Yeah, let's wipe that away. Let's <laughs> go forward. Now that's done.
0: Got that out of <laughs> the yeah. way. So, uh, like I promised, we're going to preview Utah-USC Ryan. Now it's a joke, a running joke. You're the Pac-12 guru. Yeah. Uh, what is your assessment of this Utah team?
1: <sighs> I mean, it's so hard. Okay, this is Utah team, if you guys remember, who's won the Pac-12 South the last two years? The Utes. They had never won it before. They've won the last two, losing some big-time guys, like Tyler Huntley, mobile quarterback. You guys remember him. Uh, Zach Moss, and running the NFL. They have, I believe, eight guys from the defense that are on NFL rosters as of, like, last week, so from last year's defense, so... They got a couple starters back, a lot of replacements on defense, but they've recruited much better. There's some really talented guys. Uh, the defensive line is still—I went over. Um, we'll have a preview podcast coming up soon. I talked to Dan Sorensen, who publishes Ute Zone. Are you used to like Polynesian studs in the—you know—for the defensive line for Utah? There's more of them. Like the Bradley and eyes and like Loki Setu's are gone, but they got a bunch more dudes that are really talented and they're—they're they're high on. So I think it's going to still be. It'll probably be the best defensive front that USC sees in this shortened season, so it's going to test this offensive line. Unfortunately for the secondary for Utah, there you know they're, it's going to be a complete rebuild. They got a couple of highly ranked four-star guys. One guy that was committed to Ohio State that they're going to play. A, 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 you know, two of the starters are true freshmen in the secondary, so that's going to be something that I think the USC can try to exploit because obviously the wide receivers are uh, you know powerful you know, position group for USC. I'm wondering what Utah does because typically we saw a lot of zo- man coverage from them yeah. to a stubborn like a level that was too stubborn and and Matt Fink picked them apart with all those wide receivers. Yolo ball. It was yolo ball. I talked to Dan Sorensen about this. He thinks because it's a bunch of you know new guys in the secondary, not a lot of experience, like talented guys, but just not a lot of experience. They might play a lot more zone. That's something that's been effective hmm. against USC. So that inexperience might help them. Do the right thing against USC. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Interesting, yeah, yeah. So it could work out in their favor, but it's there's still a lot of talent on this team, and they got a great group of running backs. Um, you know, even losing a guy like Zach Moss, they still haven't announced their starting quarterback yet. It was they. Uh, I'm sorry. It's uh, uh, Jake Bentley. So he transferred from South Carolina, and Cameron Rising uh, from he transferred in from Texas. So they're still battling out. Kyle Whittingham does not say anything about injuries about covid about they don't know who the, who's winning the starting quarterback job there's not a lot going on as far as like what do you know uh, they're going to announce a two deep and some you know like later this week but you know it's not necessarily going to be accurate but we don't know the guys that are coming off covid if they're starters if they're yeah. reserve guys if they're walk-ons we have no idea like it could you could get to the game and it could be like half the defense is walk-ons because the guys are still in the protocol but they have enough players to actually play. Interesting. Kyle Winningham doesn't say any of that stuff. So really, like you could say, wow, if, if all of their guys are there, like I think it could be a good game. Or half of the team is, you know, half of the starters are in uh the you know the protocol and they're they're in quarantine and they can't play. So we really are going into this blind. The third week in a row that USC is playing a team that hasn't played in 2020. So yeah, and in this case, having missed the first two games against Arizona and against uh, was it UCLA, I believe. Um, you know, because of the COVID protocol stuff, you really just don't know almost anything about this team. But, you know, there is talent. They've lost a bunch of guys from last year, but it's still a pretty stacked team, especially that defensive front. And that's something that can probably exploit this USC offensive line that, you know, they've had some up and down moments this year, you could say.
2: Mm -hmm. It was interesting. I saw a tweet earlier this week that was like, Kyle Whittingham says that they've got less walk-ons in their one and two deeps now. They're yep. almost, you know, almost getting a one and two deep that doesn't have a bunch of walk-ons. So I, I think that tells you a lot about where they were at as far yep. as you know the positive cases and the contact tracing. And hopefully everyone stays healthy there. You always hope that every team is fully healthy uh, unless you're playing UCLA. and it's your rival, if you're a USC fan, then you want you know their star players to be nicked up for the weekend. Uh, you know, so uh, but sure. you and Notre Dame probably too. But USC, you know, they have to go into this attacking and it'd be in attack mode. Uh, you know, that's the thing that they've, they've talked about. Well, we don't know what this coordinator is going to do, be in attack mode for once. And I think they feel a little bit more confident this week because they have a general idea of the schematics. Morgan Scaly is not going to, you know, drastically change things that he's done for five straight years, I don't think. Um, you know, but. Can USC still run the ball? They haven't done it the last two years. Now, is that a question, I mean, is that more a product of the fact that they had four defensive linemen that are probably in the NFL? Um, I know at least a couple of them are with, you know, just huge monsters in the middle with Leckie Fotu and John Pinacini, Bradley and Nye coming off the edge. Or is it just their defense is so good and they do different things that USC can't handle? That Those are the things USC should know, have a better idea of what's coming. And their players are better than everyone they play on this schedule so now you shouldn't be worrying about oh the personnel matchup, uh, this wide receiver versus this cornerback just just be able to go beat them because your guys are better and it's not the the coach is going to bring out a new schematic against you it's the player is going to be a different player that you're facing I think they feel more confident in their players going against other players versus, you know, their coaching uh, and their schemes and having to to figure out what the other coaches are doing. So I, I think they feel a little bit more confident going into this game, actually.
1: Yeah. Real quick. There's also a lot of coaching continuity. Uh, like Chaka was saying, you know, Cameron, I think his fifth year as defensive coordinator, but they bring all the coaches back. The system is back. They got like three spring practices in and the whole offensive line pretty much is intact. And so I think, they feel good about the skill position guys. They might be the best wide receiver group that Kyle Whittingham's ever had. So they figure out the right quarterback. Uh, neither one of them are going to be as mobile as Tyler Huntley, but they got a good group of running backs. You got a good offensive line. Got good receivers. Britton Covey's back. He looks normal. Like he came. He went to that he mission, and normal. well, he didn't look as good when he he got injured after he came back from the mission. He looks like he's. From what I've, the reports I've read, you know, he looks a lot better. So I think this could be a really powerful offense, even missing guys like Huntley and Moss. But having the whole offensive line and feeling good about that, both both lines, I think for Utah are going to be stout, and that's going to be something that could push USC around. We, you know, are they going to be tough enough to hang with this Utes team? But like I said, they haven't played. Cal looked like crap against UCLA in their first game Utah could come out and just look like crap it's just hard to say at this point
0: yeah but you kind of trust a Kyle Whittingham coach team in that sense yeah. and I know Clay Hilton highlighted that uh Utah is 11-0 in their home openers so uh season openers I believe so uh yeah I I tend to believe Kyle Whittingham can pull things together together even if it's a COVID roster if yeah. you will Sean, you look like you wanted to add something.
2: Yeah, I think that their offensive line is their strength, and they're going to try to run the ball. And Brumfield and Jordan Wilmore, former USC commit, are are solid running backs. I don't think either one of them is special like Zach Moss. Um, And I think that's where USC has to win. If you can win up front and, and slow the running game down, then you force whoever the quarterback is. I'm kind of putting my money on Jake Bentley just because he played at South Carolina, grad transfer. I think he's the older veteran guy. He'll probably be the guy in my mind that'll win that job. So force him to beat you initially and then make adjustments as you go uh, rather than you know, the other way around and getting gashed by this run, which has been the case the last two weeks. Where they've just given up too many run yards. Uh, so we'll see how they kind of try to attack that. I think on the other side, USC's, if USC's offensive line wins the line of scrimmage, USC should win this game pretty handily, I think. I, don't, I know that they are constantly producing great defensive linemen, but with the guys they lost last year, I just can't imagine they can just immediately replace that type of talent. Um, at Utah, and I know they've recruited better, but they are a school that develops talent much better than other schools around them. Now they've gotten some guys like Clark Phillips, you know, uh, a fringe five-star guy, you know, a uh, high four-star. Out of La Habra, it's gonna. I think he'll play in the in the secondary and be a starter for him from day one. But they're not getting that type of production on the defensive line immediately. So uh, I, I think it's gonna take them a little bit of time to to get that defensive line back to where it was after losing so much production from last year.
1: And Real quick on Jake Bentley, go back and look uh, the year Clemson won the national championship. He played for South Carolina, had a really. I forget how many yards, but like a lot of yards. It, the offense did really well when he was running that against the national championship, Clemson Tigers. So watch for that one.
0: Good to know. Uh, Now, shotgun. I'm not sure if you mentioned this, but I thought it was interesting today in the press conference, Todd Orlando said that he was leaning a lot on Craig Nivar. Nivar became the interim defensive coordinator for Texas after Orlando was fired and they played Utah in the bowl game. And you have more time to prepare in a bowl game. So Nivar sounds like he really knows this uh, Utah team to a certain extent. Right, shotgun?
2: Yeah, I mean, Texas shut down Utah in the bowl game that they played, and Utah uh, got routed by an athletic Texas bunch. So, you know, he's got experience facing them. And that was what Orlando said is that, you know, when you're preparing during the season, you you get a couple days of preparation for a team to really look at what they're doing. And when you're preparing in a bowl game situation or a first game of the season – you have you know eight to ten days where you're really focusing in on the tape um, and breaking things down before you start trying to figure out what you want to do, so I, I think that he feels really comfortable with Craig Nivar. obviously this is the guy he brought over with him from Texas, so you know he's going to lean on him and have trust in him to put together uh, a good defensive plan and work work as a, a as a unit to put together that plan rather than Orlando trying to take it take it on his own shoulders in this situation
0: mm-hmm. Now, I know I've circled this matchup from day one, uh, always Rice-Eccles. I know I've said it till I'm blue in the face, but does do you think the, the Rice-Eccles curse doesn't really count in this specific scenario, considering it's a COVID-wacky year, there's not going to be any fans in the stands? How do you think this works out in that stadium?
1: I think it's... It's not going to be as – the last seven years in this rivalry, the home team has won, right? And the must isn't going to be there. There's not going to be fans. You'll have some family and stuff, and that's about it. Plus, Utah hasn't even played yet, and USC comes in with two games under their belt. I mean, there's a lot of X-Factor stuff. Even though USC's on the road, a lot of that X-Factor kind of things without the X's and O's kind of goes towards USC – but you do have to travel, and they just came off the road for one game. You have to go back-to-back and, and travel again. Um, USC hasn't had a lot of success recently in Rice-Eccles, but it's not going to be the same sort of experience, you know? Now, it's going to be night. It's, I think it's going to be in the 40s, so it's not. it could be a lot colder. It could have been snowing. Yeah. Um, and so that's maybe a little advantage for USC. But you're right. I mean, this is a team. They're, they're good in those home openers. Uh, you know, USC hasn't won on the road but I wouldn't say there's going to be as big of a a home field advantage as there normally would be in a, in a regular year.
2: I mean, obviously it's not going to be as big an advantage, but I still think there's a little bit of that uh, potential of rice Eccles magic there Mm -hmm. or or the must magic, even if the must isn't in, uh, in the stadium, I wouldn't be surprised if there's, you know, crowds around the stadium, knowing the the people in Salt Lake city and some of the crazy things they've been doing uh, recently. I think that, when you go there and you're playing late at night, not just at night, but late at night, 8.30 p.m. start local time for uh, that kickoff, and it's going to be freezing for USC's players. They're not used to this weather. I mean, it's supposed to be, the high is supposed to be 47 now. The lowest, though, is twenty-six. And you're not going to get highs at 830 at night, Ryan. Nope. So you're going to get 20, 26 to 33 degrees out there. So, it's, you know, there might, if there's any precipitation, it might be coming down in, in the white form uh, there. So you totally. know, USC, how do you deal with it? We're going to talk about this and it, it's going to be brought up because it's when it's cold, it's hard to grip a football. So how is Keaton Slowis going to throw the ball considering the struggles he's had the first two weeks of being able to throw tight spirals? Um, that's a big concern, I think, for USC, especially with how much of this offense is predicated on throwing the ball first and oftentimes throwing to open up the run. That's what you saw more In this game against Arizona, they threw the ball to open up some running lanes. And then it worked a little bit, uh, but they got to be more consistent. This is the type of game where you want to be able to rely on a run game. Hey, if we need to hand it off 40 times, let's do it. You know, everyone's cold, and that's when you... These are the type of games where you can wear down a defense, because when it's cold, you don't want to get hit. You do not want to get hit. You hate getting hit when it's cold. It's terrible. So... This is the type of game where you can break someone's will by, you know, constantly pushing on them, pushing on them. And that's the type of thing that a Utah team does a lot better than a USC team does with their offensive structure. So, you know, while they may be an underdog and they may not be this talented a team, there are some things that could create some must magic here, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, we had a question on Sunday about uh, what's the minimum number of games to win the Pac-12 South. So I, we did get an email and I looked it up. So it's mm-hmm. basically you have to play one game less no more, no, no less than one game below what the average conference games are. So, like, if the average is five, like the average team in the Pac-12 plays five, um, you'd have to play at least four. So, for Utah, you're kind of on the edge. You've already missed two. The average is probably going to end up being around five. So, if they get all four games in, they should be fine. USC already beat Arizona State. Arizona State's lost the game. Uh, if Utah could come out and beat USC – that you know, they don't have a loss yet. They they would be in the driver's seat, I think, for the Pac-12 South. So I think there's some motivation there, knowing like they got to get the game in, and if they can get a win against USC, they can keep their streak going of winning the Pac-12 South. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how that goes. USC may, you know could end up five and one, but if Utah's like four and zero, oh, boom, and you move on. So it's yeah. uh, there's there's some motivation there, but they have to get that number. It's one. It's like one less than the the average number of conference games that are played.
0: Yep. And they haven't played yet. So yeah. you could have that fire. You never know. Or they couldn't be used to game speed. It could go either way, really. <laughs> I mean,
1: you're like, I mean, you are waiting forever to play. Like when the Big Ten came back two weeks before the Pac 12, like you were chomping the bit watching football. They've watched it for the last two weeks, too. So I don't know. Like it, there might be even more motivation there just because they haven't been able to play and they've watched not just other teams across the country, but other Pac 12 teams and Pac 12 South teams play, too.
2: So, so this is a situation where you're going to be overhyped as a player. But with a coach like Kyle Whittingham, I trust that he will will have the team ready to go as far as, all right, temper your your emotions now, once you get on the field. Now you might see an early 15-yard penalty. Those type of things may happen early in the game. And there's always the potential, even in the freezing cold, of cramps and stuff in the first game just because live action is a lot different than practice Um, so if you have some players that are playing heavy snap counts, maybe later in the game, USC can try to wear them down if they're able to get their offense kind of rolling in in this game so those are things to watch out for on that side but I think Kyle Whittingham will have them prepared they're going to be hyped up for the game and I think he'll have them on that right level to where they don't start out really flat, they don't look like they're super slow, like we've seen USC looking like at times You know, looks like they're running in mud sometimes, I, I think that utah will probably be a little bit better prepared for that just the way that they go about their fall camps uh, in a traditional year
0: mm-hmm. ryan you look like you have something to, to no, share no i, with I the thought class. that was
1: interesting um <laughs> it's funny i'm actually just I'm, I'm putting up the preview podcast so if you're listening to the, the podcast, <laughs> okay. i just had to make it live but uh yeah no i just it was it okay live, you look but... like
0: you had something to share so i didn't i wasn't sure
1: no not necessarily yeah
0: no you're fine okay well we have a caller on the line so let's go to, let's that. Go to that i believe it is our buddy dave in iowa Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision.
3: Hey guys, uh, so I remember uh, in the last uh, Tunnel Vision, I believe uh, at, at least two of you agreed on the statement of like talent actually matters. However, I mean, since we're all about talent, last year Utah was the number seven team in the conference. They ended up making it to the conference championship. So my question to you guys is: Would you would you ra- would you guys rather have what we have now? Or would you rather have a less talented team with a better head coach that knows how to develop players? Thank you.
0: Thanks. Dave. So, is this
1: from USC's perspective, you mean, or I
0: think if you're a USC fan,
1: what you want? Yeah. Here's the thing. The problem is USC's DNA is bring an uber talent and then see what you can do with it. It's not been a program that's you know talking about two- and three-star guys that come in and you make them. That's that's Utah. They do that, like Boise State. There's programs that do that. Now, Utah's slowly recruiting at the Pac-12 level as opposed to, you know, the group of five level they're doing. They are, you know, they're replacing guys in the secondary, which a normal Utah team, if they were in the Mountain West or something, you wouldn't have four-star freshmen that could come in and play. Now they do. So I think it's changing a little bit, but they do an excellent job at developing, but that's part of their DNA, and that's part of their culture. And that's not necessarily, been, not that USC doesn't develop players, but it's more about you bring in a Dory Jackson, and you're like, I've heard all about him. He's this five-star guy. He comes in, and it's like, oh, yeah, he's a stud. Um, does he get better or whatever? You can argue, but he's really good when he comes in. Um, they get guys like that. That's the USC DNA. So would Kyle Whittingham trade rosters with USC? Like, it probably would, but there's also the thing, you know, the old OKGs are kind of guys You know, Chris Peterson wanted that at Washington. Kyle Whittingham does stuff like that. I think for USC, your kind of guys are the five-star guys that are local, the four-star guys that are local. That's what you got to get. And you need to get, obviously, a coach that can kind of develop. And not all the guys are going to be like that. You want someone that's, uh, you know, a third-year junior that comes out of nowhere. like, wow, he's got a lot better. He'd put on 50 pounds since he was a freshman, and we didn't expect him. He grew from a, you know, a tight end. He's now a left tackle, and he's a stud. Um, you need some of that too, but that's the coaching. But for USC, I don't think you change the DNA. You got to go with the talent.
2: Ideally, you, you get the five star guys, and then you also get the Clay Matthews of the group. You know, you find a walk on, or you find a Chad Wheeler. You know, a three star lineman, and say that guy's athletic. He can move, and we'll we'll be able to put some weight on him, and he'll become an NFL player. That's what you want to do. And if you're a if you're recruiting at a high level, and if you're uh, producing talent then you have an opportunity to play those young guys early but also take a couple of flyers if you want to call them that the three star guys that you know people don't talk about at, on uh, national signing day you take a couple of those guys you say we think they're going to be good down the road those are going to be three four there's going to be four or five year guys versus some of the three year guys that we take that are five star guys that are going to be three or for three years and then get out it's kind of the you know the balance can you find a balance of you know, if you're a basketball team, can you find a balance of one and done talent, but some older guys that bring some experience and you know can can knock down shots for you in the corners? Those those type of things, uh, you want to have that balance. USC and Utah are kind of the opposite ends of the spectrum in that regard, but Utah is getting much closer pushing their talent level and they're recruiting up higher and that's dangerous for usc in the pac-12 south because they're not uh, producing uh, talent they're not developing talent at the same rate that utah has but let's see what utah does after losing so much talent because occasionally you'll see it's easier to see. Uh, it's more drastic at a mid-major level. Say basketball. You know they have a group of seniors that's really tight knit, and and they play well together. They make a good run in the NCAA tournament. You don't hear about that team again for like four years because they have to basically go through a cycle. Now let's see if Utah instead of instead of having to to. Um, To to, they can rebuild rather than having to recycle through and you know have to go through a couple year cycle before they're ready to come to the same talent level that they were at last year. That's the big question. That's the next step. The next hurdle for Kyle Whittingham's program.
1: Hey. Keely, we got, I I just want to give a shout out to John on Facebook. He's like liking the heck out of the show. I appreciate that. Nice. Uh, He also had a question. So you might, you want me to just jump in? Is that real quick? Go for it. So he said, with all the changes in college football this season, why doesn't the NCAA get smart and make it an eight team playoff? All Power Five, all five Power Five conference champs, one non Power Five, one group of five, and two at large teams. It makes so much sense and no one will complain. TV would love it, fans would love it, and it just makes so much sense because all the conferences can do what is right for their teams. And uh, John, thanks again for... He's still liking it. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, uh, no, I, I like that idea. I thought they should do that from the beginning. The college football playoff committee is pretty rigid in what they do and they've said numerous times that that's not something that they were looking at. But if there's still more chaos and there's more SEC games canceled and things get pushed back, there's a lot of pushback of, you know, changing the deadline for the college football playoff because it's going to run in the NFL and there's a lot of issues there. But... If there's more and more cancellations happening and you want to continue this going, I think it's a perfect time to do it. But in the, in a chaos year, do something crazy. You don't have to go back to it, but you could see if the eight-team thing would work. Just like the 9 a.m. thing. That was an experiment. You can do it in a COVID year. Um, so I thought it would have been great to do that, but they were pretty inflexible.
2: Yeah, it, it's something that probably should be explored, and it's something that you know the conference that's struggling to get into the playoffs should be really pushing for. Oh wait, that's the Pac-12, and that's Larry Scott, and that hasn't really happened. <laughs> um, so that's part of the issue. He should have been pushing hard for this constantly. You know, every time they meet, he should be like, "You guys want to consider that 18 now, huh? a teams, 18 every time. He should have been should have been in their ear constantly. They should have been mad about it, having to have him on the call. He, he's just being so annoying about it, but. Here's one of the issues with those things and why the college football playoff, I think, is being very uh, kind of stubborn about this. and doesn't, They don't want to push back their rankings. They don't want to push back the dates when they a- announce things. Like the Pac-12, we talked about it before, one of the tiebreakers is... You know the rankings, the college football playoff rankings. They, they don't come out till Tuesday, um, and, and you know you may have a team trying to prepare for a Friday night championship game in the Pac-12 and not knowing who the opponent on the other division is and waiting on a tiebreaker for the college football playoff. But one of the reasons I think they're so stringent is because when you have a national championship game and you have these two semifinal games set up, the dates are set. You've also you've also booked all the hotel rooms all the ballrooms, all the stuff that goes around the event. Now things are a little different this year, obviously, but all those things are already booked. It's a lot more difficult to say, okay, well, can we just move that to next week? And can we get, you know, that same block of, you know, 350 hotel rooms between two hotels or something. It's not so easy, even in this type of difficult time. And I think that gets overlooked and that's, you know, it's just the logistical portion of trying to put together and make changes to something that's scheduled out multiple years in advance, because you already have your, you know your national championship sites i think for four years right now in advance maybe even more than that so those type of things why do they do that so far in advance so they can go ahead and and get those type of bookings figured out early um, and then they can just supply them for the schools when they come in those those are i I think that's one of the big reasons why they've been so stubborn on this fact but if they if usc and the pac-12 would have pushed for that a long time ago Throughout the offseason, I think you would have had a much better chance than them kind of you know, late in the game saying, yeah, we'll move it back two weeks and we'll just see what we can do with it.
0: Yep. Leadership matters in that sense. We have another caller on the line. I believe it is another caller from Iowa. It should be Coley. Hello. You are live on Tunnel Vision.
4: Hey. Thank you for having me, Keeley. Uh I was hoping you guys could enlighten me on the Pac-12's recent decision to, uh, think about expanding to non-conference games. I I guess I'm just a little confused because, uh, California itself is in a difficult position where Cal and Stanford are very restricted. Um, and yet, uh, you know, maybe you might get a game in with UCLA or, or USC down in Southern California or Oregon. What is the Pac-12's idea about this? It's too late to play Notre Dame. Our, 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 our bye week was, is this week. Um, are, is there actual interest in, uh, in other uh, individual teams uh, playing the Pac-12? Um, I, I guess I'm just confused. What was the, is the Pac-12's bigger idea of finally now doing this? Thanks for your time.
1: Thanks, Coley. Yeah, so John Wilner broke that this morning, I believe it was. Yes. Bruce Feldman came out and said that the 80s really didn't vote on it and it would be up to the presidents and the chancellors, the, the CEO group to actually approve it. Coley, it's mostly gonna be and everyone's like, oh, play BYU, play Notre Dame. And to the my understanding would be just mostly be you have a you know, some team has to opt out because of COVID stuff. Now you have an open date. Remember, Nebraska had that and they wanted to play someone, the big told the Big Ten told them to pound sand. Well, this is a th- situation where Colorado, could they potentially play Colorado State this weekend? Because Arizona State was unable to play. Colorado's kind of keeping it open because if Utah bails out, USC and Colorado could play each other. But if Utah and USC play, Colorado is left without a dance partner. Could they end up playing Colorado State, who their their opponent was also uh, hit with COVID and they were out? So that's it's one of those things where could they get approval to do something like that? It's not necessarily, hey, let's go out and schedule games. There's no open dates. I mean... Everything's crammed in to the end of you know at the end of the season when the college football playoff makes their decision. If you want to play an extra game after that just for fun, I don't think anyone's going to do anything like that. But until that date gets moved, there's just limited windows to play. There's just limited weeks left to play. So it's really just about someone drops out. I don't think it would necessarily be, necessarily be a marquee matchup mm-hmm. like USC Notre Dame. It would be Colorado Colorado State because it's a last minute thing that would work, and maybe you get a BYU or something. Because there's some free agents out there that are still looking for games, and BYU really would like their pad their resume if they could play a Pac-12 team, uh, they would likely do it.
2: Yeah, I think it's more you're, it's going to be regional games. I don't think you're going to see USC play Notre Dame, unfortunately. I don't think you're going to see USC go play Mississippi State or something no. and try to play or Washington State play Mississippi State and get in the Leach Bowl. Um, <laughs> those things aren't going to happen. But what they're trying to do is hey, we only have this many weeks. We thought it was going to go nice, smooth sailing with this daily testing. Oh, crap. We're still having issues. Can we rally to get some games in? Because one thing is there's a lot of money on the line. Every game they lose is a big amount of money. I think Wilner said it was something like $425,000 a school for each game they lose or something like that. Uh, So you know, the TV money that they're not having if they don't produce the game. So they would much rather if... You know, if Utah's sitting there or, you know, UCLA and Cal last week, hey, if we can match them up, great. But if there was a third team because there was a chance that, you know, Washington wasn't going to be able to play Oregon State okay, well, can we match up Washington with Montana? Can we match them up with Wyoming? Can we get a game in just so they can be something that's televised and so these guys can play, so they can get the tape? The players want to play, even if they, you know, if USC has to play San Diego State or San Jose State, that'd be a good matchup right now. San Jose State, I think, is ranked right now. So, you know, I don't think that you're necessarily going to be able to cherry pick and say, oh, let's see if we can get Oregon versus BYU and see if BYU's legit. It's going to be... It's Wednesday and someone, you know, <laughs> drops out and they go, hey, Colorado's free, uh, They, you know, their opponent can't play. BYU doesn't have a game. Can we get it together? Let's do it. And that's how it's going to come together. You're going to see some late in the week type of scheduling rather than, you know, finding some marquee matchups and, and circling it on the calendar. Yeah, yeah.
1: I get props to the Pac-12 for making Cal UCLA happen on Sunday morning. Yep. Like that yeah. was, I mean, everyone wanted Washington, Arizona that first week. They're so much further apart and the truck, you know, the truck was in Salt Lake City and for Arizona, it needed to get to Seattle. Like, I get it. They probably could have had it on Monday or Sunday, but I think realizing, holy crap, we should have had that game be played. Whatever we can do to make a game happen, we should. And and putting it on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. I thought was brilliant.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Thanks, Coley, for the call. Some people at the peanut gallery in YouTube was like, He has a voice, so there you go.
1: He's called uh, before, yeah. He
0: has. Uh, now like he I mentioned us stuff
1: too, so we like him. Yeah. true,
0: yeah. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we got to hear from USC's coordinators this week. I'm gonna dive into rapid fire questions right after this. So shotgun, I'm putting you on probation. <laughs> I am. Uh any interesting tidbits you guys took away? I know we've talked about Armgate ad nauseum. Graham Harrell talked about it. Uh, Todd Orlando gave his assessment of this defense. Shotgun,
2: I'm going uh, to go to you. <laughs> but- I mean, I said this when we recorded the Family Feud podcast earlier Clay. today, um, which will be up tomorrow, as long as Keeley takes care of her business. Now she put me on probation. Um, <laughs> How dare you. But it was interesting that you're getting different stories from the head coach, mm-hmm. the offensive coordinator, and the quarterback. Uh, and Clay you know, says, oh, it's slick, it's wet balls, There's, there's, it's windy. Keaton Slovis says it's a mechanical issue. And then Graham Harrell goes, it's not a mechanical, not mechanical issue. Mechanical. <laughs> I don't know I don't where know, he like, got yeah. that from. Yep. It's like, what Wait, what, just happened here? Yep. And then he goes on and basically says, you know, he thought it was a mental issue with him. He had one slip and then suddenly it got in his head and he kind of had the yips a little bit. And then Clay Hilton, right before that, had said, you know, I asked him again about it, asked him, and one of the things I want to know is, hey, did you look at his mechanics from last year, compare them to this year, and either tell him and convince him, say, hey, look, your mechanics are exactly the same. You're doing great. Just let the ball fly. Or say, hey, look, something's different here. Let's make a little bit of an adjustment. And Clay, uh, you know, shut that down and said, I'm going to say it again. It was the, the slick balls. It was the wind. And he said, we're not going to talk about this again. He said, "This is not going to come up again, basically. So the, those could be famous last words if if Slovis comes out again and and suddenly the ball is fluttering around once yeah, more." Yeah, he said
1: it wasn't going to be a problem. Not that we couldn't talk about it, but you, we we wouldn't because it's just yeah. gonna, he'll be fine. He's gonna he threw the best ball you'd ever seen on Monday or practice. It was yeah, so but, pretty. He said. Yeah. So. It wasn't that he said we can't talk about it again. He said that we're not going to need to because everything's going to be fixed. Exactly. So Thank you it for clarifying. Yeah, and it was sort of like Chris Trevino was like, yeah, that has the potential to... He tweeted out something like... Age like milk. Yeah, age like milk. It's like, yeah. I mean, if the balls come out fluttering on Saturday, what I mean, you're going to be right back at it. It just looks even worse. And Keely and I talked about it on the, the podcast, Shotgun if you're going to come in and you have like a story and you're going to lie about it, everyone should be on the same page. The fact that there was three different (laughs) stories, you either like terrible at like, Hey, we can't say what's really happening, but we're not going to coordinate what it is. Or you like, you know, but I don't know if you'd be lying about it. If you all had a different story, they just might not know, I guess, or, you know, maybe it's some kind of mental thing, but it's, it is, it is interesting. It just doesn't seem like this, even if it's whatever it is, the three of them should have got together and had the same story. The fact that there's three different stories and part of it being, we know at least something Clay Held said wasn't true. It was not windy there. So, he's, you know, bringing up wind is not a factor. That just seems like you're throwing things on the wall. Like, well, wind, slick balls, whatever. You're just throwing things out there, just hoping something sticks.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, now, as far as Orlando, and uh, I asked about Team Speed and how he thinks his team is reading and reacting right now, he didn't seem like he is where he wants it to
2: be. Yeah, his response was, "It's going to get better." <laughs> yeah. he, did, he didn't really, you know, immediately try to answer the question. He was just like, "We're going to get it better," you know, because he uh, that tells me he knows it's an issue too. Um, you know, there's times where they're just it looks like they're sluggish, and I don't know if they're they're still processing, and, and because it's a new defense and there's not f- full speed going yet. But there are some bad angles that have been taken on defense and also some times where it just looks like, you know, that they're, they're not – things aren't clicking immediately and then read and react uh, immediate first step. It seems like it's taken them a second.
1: Yeah. And it, it was kind of weird listening to Todd Orlando because it was like, you got to understand, guys. Like, this is really – we've only had a couple weeks and, like, there. Were, I'm not saying there were, like, excuses because I do like the fact they say it's going to get better. Like, there's at least admission that, like, it's not good enough. But it's – some of it is like, well, we just don't have a lot of time and we haven't played as many games and it sounds like he really wanted more practice time than he got. Um, I mean, it's college football though. You want to be able to, like, Graham Harrell installed his offense in, in three practices. Apparently, it's not as easy to do the Todd Orlando defense in three practices but they're, it, it sounded like when I don't know if you guys saw the same thing. Just what he was talking about is it, it like there's just not that many weeks that they've played, and so it's going to take a while. But yeah. you have a six-game season or seven-game season. There's just not a lot of time to get ramp up. You got to be ready to go right away.
2: Yeah, and I think you're going to see this defense progress each week. And I think you saw some progression from uh, week one to week two. There's Some things that they didn't do well in the first week that they did better the second week. Um, And we'll see where they are with injuries. I think that played a part into why they gave up some of the yards that they gave up in this game, even though those guys that stepped in did a pretty good job. But speaking of timing, Ryan, and how long it takes to implement uh, an offense, Graham Harrell said, you know, it's pretty easy to to teach going under center, but they just don't have time for that. (laughs) I asked him about that this week, and, and, you know, because Clay Helton deferred to him, we keep getting questions from all you guys about going under center, so I asked you know, Graham just explained, and he said it's something they could do, but you know, it, it just takes too much time to kind of master it, and so they want to focus on on what they do on a regular basis, and they're they're going to stick to that. The
1: whole offense is installed in three spring practices. You can't go under center at some point. How do you squeeze that in? And then the weirdest thing was when Clay Helton spoke, guys. When you're talking about this, how he said unprovoked just brought out that how disciplined this team is, especially. In critical situations, and it was just like, you're the most penalized team in the Pac 12. The critical situations could include maybe being third and goal at the one yard line and getting two penalties to be third and 11 and then missing a field goal. I mean, I don't know where that came from, but sometimes.
2: All right, let me explain where that comes from. Okay. He, he's watched the final four minutes of both the first two weeks, <laughs> and he said, look, when we, you know, when. Those are the critical situations. Yeah, when we get our backs against the wall. We, we will, you know, put together what we're supposed to do. And I think that. Why he says that is because it's different from last year. I think he feels like, you know, when they get in those clutch situations, they're going to make the plays this year versus last year. That's when you're getting those penalties or even more specifically two years ago. You know, it seemed like when they would have a chance to go do something, that's when they get the worst penalty of the game or that's when they get a, you know, a, a bad miss block or something like that. He feels much more confident in those situations. I think that's where that came from. I know that's gotten a lot of play the last couple of days, but uh, I didn't, that one didn't catch my eye immediately, like it did a little bit for everyone else.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to jump into rapid fire questions. Before we do, I got to pull the car over for a second and have a talking to you. Uh, there's a person in the Facebook comments who thinks that we're not taking his call and that we don't want to say anything about Clay Hilton. He said, What what is this panel, what does Clay Hilton have on this panel that we don't want to talk about Clay Hilton's shortcomings? We have. We have a lot. We have while you were commenting that. And we've <laughs> taken every call uh, that we've gotten tonight. So you're not being ignored. This is me addressing Upsh, it. Kill there you go. Down. Uh, pulling the car back onto the road. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had a question as far as uh, Raymond Scott. Shogun, I know you had some mixed reviews about Raymond Scott's performance. Uh, what were your, your takeaways from the time that he had?
2: So watching the game, I really liked what I saw from Raymond Scott. I love that he's flying in and attacking. He's in attack mode, and that's what USC needs from their linebackers a little bit. But then rewatching the game, there's some times when he attacks too much and gets leaves open some run gaps. So he didn't actually grade out really well as far as pro football focuses grades. But I think given the circumstances uh, that that you know he made an impact, made impact plays in there. I thought he did a great job as far as coming in in a situation where he had seven career defensive snaps before this game, and those were at safety. He comes in at linebacker and makes some plays and made an impact. Now he gave up some runs and you know he wasn't in the right spot at all the times. So I think those are things you get correct. So I come away from it with a positive vibe and uh, some positive feelings that hey, if Pali and Naitiate is not able to go this week, Raymond Scott I think will step up and, and take over that starting spot. And this is a guy that probably a month ago was playing safety still, uh, so it's very interesting. But he's a guy that when we saw him in high school always made plays, so not that surprised by it. But he does have some things to clean up, you know. So I had to temper my excitement for his game after rewatching the game a couple times.
1: We got a Periscope from Joe Joe. He had a couple of draft questions, I guess maybe because the NBA draft is going on, but one of them was who gets drafted higher among current, t- the cur- assuming the current trajectory, Marlon Tui Polotu or Jay Tufele?
2: I think Jay Tufele still goes there because of the potential. He's more explosive. Now I think Marlon has done nothing but enhanced his draft stock uh, this season with the first two games. And especially, especially if he does it for four more weeks. He doesn't have to be, you know, all American for four weeks, but just be consistent for four weeks because that's been an issue for him the last couple of years. He's he's, uh, faded a little bit in the second half of the season and nfl scouts may look at that and ding him because 16 games is more than 12 and definitely more than six so can you keep it up for six weeks in a row i think if he can i think that really boosts his stock he's doing some great things he's just he's super strong there he's an anchor in the middle of that line and and doing some really nice things for usc allowing everyone around him some easier access he's he's going to start getting some major double teams which means one on one for Drake Jackson or one-on-one for Nick Figueroa, who's playing really, really well as well. And the same thing for the linebackers behind them.
0: We had a question from Jasper Smith who said, if for some reason Utah cancels tomorrow, uh, would USC be able to find a replacement that quickly?
1: Yeah, Colorado. So Colorado would come in because um, of the, you know, the Arizona State, Colorado, Utah thing. It's just going to work out in that part of the schedule. So it lo- I would look for that. I think USC will end up playing Colorado a week early. Um, and then they could figure out something for the, the week after that. Maybe playing Utah at that later date.
0: Sun Duck Hawkeye says, "How will altitude and cold affect USC's performance on Saturday?"
1: Negatively.
2: <laughs> that's a, that's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think USC is definitely much more uh, used to the nice warm temperatures of Southern California, even here in the crisp fall. Uh, so uh, watch and see the throws. Is Keaton Slovis? You know, are the throws crisp? But also, with the, you know, the altitude, does he get under some throws and they just kind of sail on him a little bit? Because that can happen to quarterbacks at times.
1: We saw UCLA go to Colorado in the first week and just not play well. And we didn't think Colorado would be that good, or I didn't at least. The altitude is a, is a big factor of it. We haven't mentioned that yet. So good, good, good on the caller to mention it.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Willis on Facebook said, Do you guys think Keaton Slowis will ever run on the zone read? It's like he could have had that first down a couple times, and it's, it's like he's not reading the defensive end.
1: Yeah, no. I don't think they want him to. They got two scholarship quarterbacks and their backup, the third string guy, is, uh, had compartment syndrome and he's out. So I don't think they want to do that. I think they'd rather just run their running backs and not really have him be part of the running game. But I don't know. What do you think, Shaka?
2: So we broke this down on Film Study, which you guys, if you're a member, if you take advantage of the offer that's on the site right now, you can check this out. We broke down a lot of the, the, the short yardage situations and what USC could have done, what went wrong, what went right on a couple of them. And one of the things is they're, they're letting that runner come. He's the guy they're going to read on that, except on the, the fourth and one. You know, uh, Keenan Slovis was actually reading the opposite side, so that guy was coming free regardless. <laughs> Instead, but one of the things we note is... Instead of Keaton Slovish running it, it's an RPO as in a run pass option. And the option is instead of Keaton Slovis running the ball and taking off himself, is for him to throw a quick wide receiver screen. That's why you saw so many of those in this game. That's the read off that. If they see that d- defender right there is crashing down, they're going to throw that out there and expect their wide receiver to make one guy miss and then be off to the races. And you saw that, you know, them picking up nine yards on a on a Brew McCoy first down. That was the play we we noted it uh, in the film. But there were some other plays similarly. You know, Tyler Vaughn picks up 17 yards on one. Uh, they're going to trust their guys to get one block from the other receiver and then be able to get by someone and pick up a, a, a chunk yardage play on first down if teams are crashing the linebackers down. Because usually on a wide receiver screen, that linebacker has to take off running outside to help out as the DBs try to push it, push the play back inside and allow the linebacker to make the play. So if he's crashing, you throw it, take advantage.
0: Dominic on Facebook has a question for you, Ryan. He says, why isn't Brew McCoy seeing the field more?
1: I mean, he's doing, he's getting out there. I mean, they got really good wide receivers, but I think they're working him into the mix. I think the tight ends played a little fewer. Uh, I don't know if you're right, Chuck. I think they each played like 30-something reps, so it wasn't quite as much as the, as the week before. So I think you're going to see more of the four-wide receiver stuff. Um, but he, you know, Brubicov's out there a good amount. Uh, you know, they have really good wide receivers. I don't, I don't have an issue with them working him in. I think he'll, his role will probably grow as, a, as the season goes on, similar to what we saw with Drake
2: London last year. The question is, who do you take off the field? So if you want to say, hey, we're taking the tight end off, I don't think Graham Harrell wants to do that. You know, I broke down uh, in my participation charts and notes, if you guys are a VIP member, you can check that out as well. So many uh,
0: plugs, well done. <laughs> uh,
2: you can check out how many snaps every single player has played the first couple of games. But also I broke down, one of the new things I broke down, is what how they did when they had a tight end on the field versus when they didn't have a tight end on the field. And they're killing it when there's no tight end in the game. But Graham Harrell wants to have that option because he wants to be able to run the ball but then split the tight end out and have them be a receiving threat. Give credit to Eric Cromahook, first career touchdown. Congratulations to him there. Uh, So the question is, who do you want to take off the field? Because are you taking Tyler Vons off? Are you taking Amon Ross St. Brown off? Are you taking Drake London off? Because those are the starters. They're going to play the majority of the reps. Brew McCoy played 38 offensive snaps against Arizona State, 31 against Arizona. So he's still getting reps there. And that's including with USC mixing in the younger receivers a little bit more, the other guys. Gary Bryant got his first playing time. John Jackson III got his first playing time. And Josh Jackson Jr. actually got his first career snap as well in place of Amon Ross St. Brown on one play.
0: We have a question from Brian on Facebook who says, "Is JT Daniels really getting the start for Georgia on Saturday?" And a lot of people wanted to know what we think about JT and his prospect as a, a dog.
1: I want to watch it. A I dog. I was I wanted to tune in right away when I thought he was going to start earlier, you know, like a month ago or something. and He didn't get it, but yeah, I definitely want to watch and, and see first of all how he looks because we didn't sure you know how he's coming off the injury. But that's a talented roster, and they just haven't had great quarterback play thus far. So. If they, I mean, he might take them to a whole nother level. It'll be interesting to see.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been really surprising that he hasn't won that job yet. Uh, just, just seeing the Georgia quarterbacks and the way they played in some of the games, you know, we, we thought JT would go there and do really well. So it was, you know, we have a lot of questions about is there still injury? What exactly is it? So looking forward to seeing how he does. And as a Georgia native, I obviously want to see them do pretty well. Yeah. I want to see JT Daniels
1: do well. I mean, I like him and stuff, but. There's just been a bunch of USC fans that just talked a lot of trash. Oh, he was terrible and blah, blah, blah. When he was running the off, you know, he was running the terrible offense USC had. If he goes there and does well, like, see, we thought he was good. He's, he's a good player. So mm-hmm. that would show something.
0: Raphael on Facebook wanted to know where is Josh follow?
2: Good question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what does that sound mean? John? I don't know.
2: Sci-fi-ish
0: sound. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't
2: know if he got abducted by aliens or what exactly. Um, we asked about. I asked about him. I believe with John David Baker and you know where he, he's kind of stood. And he said he came back for the summer workouts. He didn't get started at the same time as everybody else, so he was behind, and he's remained behind. I think they have a lot of confidence in Jude Wolf. Jude Wolf is going to take over that job potentially by the end of the year. Even though Eric Cromahook is the starter, you know, Jude Wolf is playing more snaps than uh, Eric Cromahook. If Jude Wolf actually rolled his ankle. Um, I think on the fourth and one play, actually. But um, he he kind of was taken out of the game. He was taken out of the game on offense. He still was in for like the extra points and stuff. But that's why Eric Cromenhook was in late in that game. Otherwise, I think Jude Wolf would have been the guy trying to make that catch to, to win the game.
0: Mm-hmm. Um- just a reminder, you can call in by tunnel uh, We're screening calls. And also, if you have any rapid-fire questions, put them in. There's a lot of comments. Love the comments, but I'm trying to sort through all for the questions. Uh, multiple people want to know, are any of us going to the game, especially because Utah is a COVID hotspot? This will be the first time in four years that I will not be at a game, a USC game, which is weird. I won't know what to do with myself.
1: Ryan? Yeah, we were go- Keely and I were going to go to this one, and then we sort of made the executive call not to uh, we weren't sure like booking flights and then it could get canceled at the last minute yeah but then with there's a lot of concerns and honestly there's not a lot we can do when we're at the games and this will be the first time uscfootball.com has not had someone at a game i mean i don't know in, in you know decades wow. it's crazy like no one will be there i literally was going to go at the last minute and just kind of made the decision not to what you can do is you can be in the press box or you can be in the stands like taking pictures and watch it live, but you can't do anything else. You can't get close to people. Yeah. So the interviews you're doing are gonna—you could do the same ones at home over Zoom. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, the risk reward. It wasn't a lot of reward for the the, the potential risk. So yeah, you know, we're we're all in studio now. We're just trying to be safe. We stay—we're all six feet apart. Wear masks in and out and we everything. get
0: tested and all uh, that.
1: Yeah. So, but going there and doing the travel—you know, Keely and Chris went to Arizona. They drove. This would be a flight. There's just a lot yeah, of different. Yeah, the flying
0: so, was kind of the deciding factor on yeah, that one. so, so
1: we decided uh, not to go, unfortunately. But you know, we'll we'll still be there. You know, we'll still be covering the game and stuff and get analysis and, and the interview is just not in person anymore.
0: Yeah, the full shebang. Uh, T Mac on YouTube has a question that uh, Shotgun and I talked about with Chris on the podcast today. That that surprise Shotgun, he forgot about this <laughs> player. Uh, T Mac says, "What happened to Taylor Katoa?"
2: Ryan, I don't know if you have a response because I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot he's back.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like, um, w- yeah, when you're coming back from a, a mission and stuff like that, like, you don't expect someone to just return and be like, okay, here, I'm ready to play. Like, it, it's normally like a redshirt year that first year, anyway. So, I, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect much.
2: It depends on who's in front of you and the team you're playing for. Uh, BYU and Utah usually are able to throw guys right in there. In I mean, they're
1: used to that. They're, they get yeah. a lot more of those. It's pretty rare you get admission at USC.
2: But it, it's it's just kind of unusual. We haven't seen him in any clips. I haven't seen any photos of him in you know, probably a month since early in uh, fall camp. And the one time we saw him, he was on the sideline, was nursing an injury. So don't know if he's injured right now, if that's an issue, or he's just you know not in game shape. There's... I, I've completely forgot about him to be honest. So uh, it was surprising when Chris brought him up earlier today. So we'll see if, if maybe he's a guy that's in the mix. You know, it'd be great to see him. You know, get out there and make a couple plays. You know, returning to his home state for the first time, playing at Utah.
0: Mm-hmm. In the same vein, a uh, Sun Duck Hawkeye asked, "Does USC have any linebackers this week?"
2: <laughs> They've actually uh, just gotten rid of all of them. They said no linebackers anymore. We're going with a straight DB lineup.
0: Ooh, uh,
1: 407, fun. <laughs> 407
2: defense or something. <laughs>
0: What area you could is that? I'm not sure. Uh, but, sorry, sorry. But
2: yeah, Palli and Iteote, we should get an update on him from Clay Helton tomorrow. Uh, that's a big question mark. But really, the, it's just linebackers in general, they don't have a lot of, of depth at any of the positions inside because of the guys they lost before the season. Uh, but also on the outside linebacker, they lost Abdul Malik McClain, who entered the transfer portal. And so as an edge rusher, they still have Drake Jackson and Hunter Eccles in front of him. So they should be fine there. But I asked uh, Todd Orlando if they were, you know, how are they going to adjust to that? Are they concerned about the linebacker depth? And he said that they're making changes to that already. Yeah, Didn't exactly say what that meant. I don't know if that means that someone is moving or what exactly. Uh, the other linebacker to consider is Tuasivi Nomura. He's a guy that could be in the mix to play some too. And
1: mm-hmm. Mosley, you mentioned the, you know, Abdul Malik McClain. And Mosley, what happened to the McLean brothers situation? So both those guys entered the transfer portal this week. mm mm-hmm. um, You know, Muneer McLean's been suspended. His mom's been pretty vocal on social media, not happy with that. Um, USC hasn't budged, so now both brothers have entered the transfer portal.
0: Yep. Um, As far as other personnel moves, if you will, I reported today uh, that defensive lineman Jacob Lichtenstein has decided to opt back in. Uh, he was uh, the second wave of opt-outs that USC had at the start of the season that Clay Hilton announced, so he's coming back. Uh, he still has to clear COVID protocol, so he will not uh, be ready yet. The earliest I heard from a source was Tuesday, so don't expect him uh, out there on Saturday. Uh, and so the curious thing is, is he in football shape? He's in shape. We've seen the, the social media. He's he's a beast. That's what Chris Steele said. Uh, but uh, you do get some more depth on that defensive front, and that's something when you have Brendan Peel out, uh, and then you have uh, Caleb Trembley having Stingers. I'm really curious what that means for, especially Brandon Peely, long-term, because I, I heard there was some some talk with the coaches to try and get Lichtenstein back, so does that mean that they think someone's out for a longer time? Not sure yet. I'll try and ask more about that, but Shakan, I know you want to jump in here.
2: Yeah, I think Lichtenstein's a guy, I had pegged him coming into the season, before everything happened, that he was a breakout candidate after missing all last season. He had really developed in that last month or so of the 2018 season. And the work that he put in the offseason, seeing his workouts and stuff, he looked like he was, you know, had that, that year last year not being able to play really motivated him and pushed him to, a, to another level. Um, so I think getting him back, the, the interesting question will be which spot do they put him at? Because do you put him where Caleb Tremblay has been starting and have that be a battle? Is he a backup tomorrow in to the two If you can get him and Peeley and Tremblay back, you feel really confident with that linebacker depth. Uh, and maybe you put an extra lineman out there to soften the blow of the linebackers that you've lost. Maybe that's something, an adjustment that Tarlando decides to make as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, shotgun is there any other rapid-fire questions you think I should get at uh, while we... Wrap it up. we reached the top of the hour. Scott,
1: there's a recruiting one from Scott on uh, Periscope. How will USC deal with the extension of the dead period or any workarounds point. for athletes? Uh, how do we reach these poor kids stuck in limbo? And yeah, so the NCAA announced today the dead period's going through April. Right? Was it April 15th or April? Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's been a year, basically a little over a year since the de- you know the recruiting dead period. No visits, no in-person stuff. So the the class of 2021 didn't get to take any official visits. All that. All that pompous circumstance around the recruiting aspect is gone for them. And it it's tough. I think it's, you know, you're missing your prom. You're missing all these things. But not being able to be recruited at all uh, just over Zoom calls and things, is it's difficult. They changed the rules a little bit so they can have, like, student workers, like, call recruits now for the coaches. Like, usually the coach has to be present. That's been eased up a little bit. But I think it's a tough situation. I mean, it puts more on the evaluation of the, the coaches. They have to evaluate these guys on tape that you know had from their junior year they didn't get to play in their senior year um it's 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 a tough situation overall you you feel bad for these kids they don't get the full experience of being a a recruited athlete for you know power five programs Mm -hmm.
2: you know what they'll get over it though you know it sucks (laughs) that they don't get to go on official visits and get wine to dine but Hey, I made two college decisions without even visiting colleges. So I think they'll be okay. And when they get to college, they're going to get a bunch of amenities and stuff for themselves as well. So, uh, you know, the, the, the bad thing is that, you know, like the California high school kids aren't getting a chance to play and put tape out to try to, uh, you know, convince coaches that they need to be getting that scholarship. So I don't feel terrible for the kids that are going to get scholarships. I feel bad for the ones that need to be earning it right now and aren't getting that chance. I think the kids that are high profile prospects. It sucks for them, but they'll be fine. Um, so it, it's it's an interesting for USC. I think the the investments they made this off season, the video, the social media, those type things, only are helped uh, are only going to help them right now because no one can visit campus. Yeah. You know, USC loses out on the chance to show people LA in the winter. You can do you know you can do some you know, zooms or whatever, but until you feel when it's 70 degrees at the beach in, in a January, um, then, you know, it's a lot different than being at 12 degrees at Michigan. And But USC also doesn't lose out on, you know, some of the facilities races and stuff. Uh, they'll have an advantage there. But I think the the investments they made social media video. I think those will pay off because those are things recruits will pay attention to especially when they can't go visit schools as much as they could before. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. those Sunday morning trips that the USC coaches would bring recruits to Manhattan Beach, the Strand House. Strand House. You're all overlooking the the ocean and everything and it's like January and it's 70 degrees. Like those are that's a good recruiting tool and like Shotgun said you can't do that now.
0: Mhm. s Productions said is USC even close to the same shape they were in last year? Why can't they block like
2: last year? I mean, what, were they really special blocking last year? Yeah, You're man. also
0: losing. You don't have AVT as a guard now. You were losing Austin Jackson.
2: Can we really quickly just talk about how damn good Elijah Vera Tucker has looked at left tackle? Man, that kid has looked fantastic. Making money for himself there. Uh, Yeah, and he's pushing himself up. Now, coming into the season, uh, when I talked to Tim Drevno, he said, I think him coming back is great for him because I think he was a first-round pick already, and I think he can move himself into that 15-20 to 20 range. Me personally, I didn't know if he was a first round pick. I thought he was, you know, maybe a second to third, a second day guy. Um, but I think he's playing his way up there for sure. I think he's probably still being looked at as a guard and interior guy. But he's showing what he can do on that outside just because he still has the measurements of an inside guy as far as the arm length and the height and different things there. But he's showing if you need to put him out there in a pinch, he can do it. You know, he, He's he been very, very good against the pass rush and then the, both games. And then this past game against Arizona, he graded out really well against the run as well.
0: We have another caller, so I'm going to get to that ASAP. Rocky, I believe it is Dave from Iowa again. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Music. Come on again. Double dipping.
3: Hey, guys. Dave from Iowa. Dave from Iowa, again, uh, truly blessed to have uh, to, so you guys to take two of my calls within within the hour. But, um, you know, past two weeks I've talked about Oregon football. So if I could, let me enlighten you guys some more. Two of the three best head coaches at USC, Tom McKay and John Robinson, before they were at UC, USC, guess where they were at? Oregon. University of Oregon. So that's that, – in terms of historical – uh, perspective. That's another reason why I'm really a for the whole, you know, go to the Oregon offensive line coach. I mean, I'm happy with Williams, but come on, let's go get the trenches. So yeah, I just wanted to give, just wanted to, you know, influence you guys and, and
0: enlighten you guys on the situation at hand. But uh, thank you. Thanks, Dave. Dave, Thanks. we don't make any hiring decisions, so
1: <laughs> they I'm, call me. I'm a cons- no. I'm doing
0: <laughs> you can you can influence us all you want, but we're not we're not doing that.
1: And I and I you know I get like you want to get really good, you know, line coaches. And I, Vic Soto is one of the younger guys, but I like him a lot. It'll be interesting to see how he kind of develops those guys. We've seen Tim Drevno around, you know, is he going to be the right fit? You know, we don't, I don't know. We'll see. But I, there's been enough deck chairs rearranged. Like, at this point, you're like, oh, go get this assistant coach and this assistant coach. Like, they're, all the assistant coaches have been blown out and rehired uh, over Clay Helton's tenure. Like, at some point... It's going to be, hey, this is working or you need to make a bigger change. And, um, you know, we've we've talked about that before. USC hasn't done that, so we'll see if they do in the future.
0: We got a question from Mark Watkins uh, in regards to USC's current office, offensive line coach. Uh, he said, has anyone talked to Drevno yet? Is USC hiding him away somewhere? They are not because he's talked two weeks in a row to Mr. Shotgun Spratling. I don't know if it's in a row, but he's talked twice to Shotgun uh, once, so once far. Once before
2: the season, and I talked to him the other day. Um, I'll have something up tomorrow, uh, depending on timing. It may be a Q and A or maybe a story. Uh, but did did chat with him yesterday um, about where the offensive line is at and his assessment of the first two games. So keep uh, keep it locked on USCFootball.com for that. Uh, again, you know, sign up. It's a what good time. A
0: plug. Look at that. Oh, so you're not going to answer what he said? <laughs>
2: huh? It's,
0: what? Joe, no. Uh,
2: has anyone talked to him? Yes, I talked to him.
0: Oh, but are you going to add any good tidbits? No, we're we'll going
2: to save that for tomorrow. Come Fine. on. Cliffhanger.
0: A preview. <laughs> uh, we have a question from Derek on Facebook who says Do you think Wazoo, Washington State, will be ranked by the time USC plays them?
1: Uh, interesting. Let me pull up the schedule real quick. But they've looked better than we thought. Uh, they got a freshman quarterback from. Uh, you know, coming from Hawaii, who's been great. He's really mobile. I think it's going to be a much tougher game than I saw, than we saw. I mean, they they beat Oregon State. They lost to Oregon, but that was really feisty. They were winning that game early on. I don't think Stanford's going to be a tough test. Uh, the Washington game will be. So the Apple Cup is going to be on a Friday night, Thanksgiving, and then they play USC. So they'll probably beat Stanford if they beat Washington and are three and one. I think they would be ranked going in. Uh, to the USC game.
2: Who knows? Because who knows what else is going to happen in the in, True. in the around the nation? Who's going to be you know is Coastal Carolina continuing to win or you know teams like that? You, you just don't know right now. So True. But uh, one of the things that you point out, Jaden Delora, that's a guy USC tried to get in with late. Uh, tried to flip to try to add him to the 2019 class um, or 2020 class. And the guys that USC's done that with, like some late ads, they've watched his film and really picked apart have ended up being some pretty good dudes. I mean, you got Dylan Gabriel was a guy from Hawaii as well, is what made me think of it at UCF. He's been killing it down there. USC tried to sneak in late on that one. There's been a couple guys that have done that. So I think they're evaluating quarterbacks really well. Uh, they just got to get a couple more on the roster right now because of how, how uh, slim the, the depth chart is. They're evaluating
1: him late. Maybe evaluate him a little earlier and pick him up for, you know.
2: Well, know. if they would have got their choice last year, they would have been perfectly fine, too, with uh, Bryce Young. Unfortunately, he flipped his commitment to Alabama. Yes. Yes.
0: Adler says, is Utah's quarterback a running threat? Do we know the starter?
2: Uh, I mean, we don't know the starter, but I don't think any of those three guys are true dual, dual threats. Ryan, do you no, know a No, they're, they're
1: not as well, – I mean, there's – um, I mean, they, I think there's guys that can do, like, zone read stuff and run more, like they're, but they're not going to be like the Tyler Huntley that we saw yeah. last year.
2: I don't think there's anyone as creative in that bunch, at least. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm going to wrap it up here. Coley White says, is this another game that comes down to the last 90 seconds? Yeah.
2: Why would you not expect that with USC <laughs> and Utah? I mean, that's kind of been the case most years that they played since the Pac-12 has started, even with the first, the very first Pac-12 official game. When uh, USC blocked a field goal attempt at the buzzer and then ran it back, and it was a crazy mayhem game because uh, the referees, like 15 minutes later, awarded it as a touchdown and changed the betting swing. So Vegas was going crazy. Do
0: yeah.
1: we know the line on this game? I don't. I have not know. seen it. Let me pull it up here. Real um,
0: quick. I just feel like because 2020 is so weird, this is going to be like the anti-Utah game, and it'll be like 50 to. Seven. It looks like USC's
1: a looks like USC is a three-point favorite right now. Okay. Um, coming in this one, double digit favorites. We gotta do our predictions, right? Yes.
0: Yeah, I was gonna get to that. Oh, okay. Let's get to it now. Predictions, gentlemen. How do you think this one's gonna go?
1: Larry I haven't thought about it at all. And um it's okay, we did Utah is a huge unknown. Like Mm -hmm. literally, you could go into the game and both of those starting quarterbacks are COVID. They can't play like there's some walk on that plays quarterback. They wanna get this game in because they need to get a fourth game, and they got to have a shot. But it might be a ga- time, you know, Utah's just not very healthy. There's just not as many bodies. Uh, I kind of feel like U- Utah's going to play well on the lines. They can pr- you know, run the football pretty well. Um, so I think it's going to be a closer game. USC's been double-digit favorites up until now. But I think USC's going to win this one. And cover the spread. I never, I hardly ever pick USC to cover the <laughs> win spread. <this> one. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think this is gonna be like a thirty-eight to like thirty-one type of game. Mm. And I'll take USC to win and cover the spread, which is, I don't usually pick the Trojans to cover the spread. But this is a, and this, so this would buck a tread because USC hasn't won in uh, Rice Eccles for what eight years or something. So
2: and they've never won on a Saturday in, at Utah. So. Um, I'm going to go 28-24 at USC. So they cover the spread just slightly, but I think it's still going to be a close game just because USC, you know, they don't have that mentality to go out and kill people yet. So I don't know if that's something they can develop over this year, but, uh, you know, you're still waiting to see them play their full potential. And I asked Clay Helton about that when the last time they played to their potential, he said they're still growing. They're a young team and they're still growing. And, you know, you look back at it and we tried to figure out when was the last time, and it might have been five or six games ago when they played at Cal. Um, so you, you can't go every six games and think you're gonna you play your potential every six games and be a good team. Um, so especially with a six game schedule,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. I'm gonna say 28 21. Nope, 28 24. And then I also thought 35 14. So,
2: yeah, I've got um, the alternate world theory that you know that the the false barometer game that usually is Stanford, uh, you know, in, in week two, that was what Arizona was. And USC just comes out and destroys Utah, you know, and you got it I similar really, to yeah. similar to last year uh, where Matt Fink's just throwing the ball all over the place. USC just carves up their defense. Uh, so that could happen as well. The, See,
1: the Cal game just kind of scared me because like I like Cal and, you know, <laughs> they had the time off. They didn't look good. They were coming off all Your the COVID boy. stuff. Yeah. They, I mean, that was not a good look. And, I think Utah might be better, like two, three games in. But to the first game, and USC's already played two. There's just so many, so many things leaning towards USC. Also,
0: didn't know they were going to play UCLA.
1: <laughs> That's true. And like, I think their don't. defensive line was completely quarantined until like the day before the game. So yeah,
0: like, come on. I don't. I don't know. We don't know
1: that Utah could be like that too. We don't know. Like there's there's just too many unknowns with Utah. Like if they come out like, you know, full throttle. Yeah, I think they could certainly win the game. I'm just not sure they're going to be at full strength and uh, fully prepared.
0: I, okay, I'm going to lean in fully to my Rice Eccles theory. Okay. It's going to be madness. Must I'm, magic? I'm going 28 24 USC in something dumb. Ooh, but USC's winning. Okay, that's okay.
2: How many times have you made a prediction here? <laughs>
0: Oh, I've, I've had two different scores, but, but I'm locking it in it
1: Okay, but we've all said USC is going to win, and we've all said they're going to cover the spread, so there's no, like, you know.
0: So the world is going to open up and yeah. swallow us
1: all. I think there might be the, more points scored in this one. I, I think,
2: I think e- even if you have the COVID situation, there's the unknowns there, Ryan. I think the difference in this game versus the Cal game is Cal had basically one day to prepare. Utah's had a week and a half because their game got canceled pretty early last week. Yeah,
1: that's true.
0: Yep. righty. Any final thoughts, gentlemen? We we'll, we will be back on Sunday to break down the game, which will be exciting and fun. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up?
1: Hey, this is a weird time. We want to I <laughs> want to say thank you for watching and being part of the show. This is like this is crazy. Like we're talking about COVID and viruses and stuff with mm-hmm. all the football all mixed in. I, if anyone's having struggled, I mean, we're with you. You know, send us an email, whatever, you know, tweet us. Uh, if we, we will support you and do whatever you can. Go out and do something nice for the people. I gave blood today. Do something nice. Just go do something nice for someone random if you've got to do it. Make the world a little bit better place. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, this is a tough time for everyone, but we appreciate you guys all watching and mm-hmm. tuning in. It's true. Because we know that you could be doing a whole bunch of other things. and So thank you
2: for doing
0: it. Yeah, that. you're a Tunnel Vision family. Such a wholesome message to leave out on, right? Let's try
1: to do
2: something nice. Shotgun,
0: can you top that at all?
2: <laughs> no, I just keep an eye out on Saturday. I'm sure that we'll have something brewing because we'll I'll be at home. You know, we might have pre pregame or halftime show, something something unique to try to try to uh, you know keep you guys invested as well as we're watching from home with you. Oh
1: yeah, we haven't even talked about that, but like first week one, I did a a halftime show by myself. Week two, me and Shotgun did one. Maybe we expand it this week. Maybe we get the whole Total Vision crew <laughs> at the halftime. We
0: expand it, sure, if you want to. Ryan's going to
2: get to week six looking for, for an extra participant. Where is someone else? We have six
0: person? Yeah, no. It's crazy. I was thinking, like, I there's bathroom breaks. I can eat during the game if I want to. Like, this is mind-blowing. It's so much comfort uh, this <laughs> season, which is weird. Uh, but that's going to wrap it up for today's show. Thanks so much for watching, guys. We really appreciate you. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see you all on Sunday. Bye.